Hey everyone! Welcome to episode six of Voices Unheard, a podcast aiming to share stories of change makers, giving a voice to people or issues that are too often silenced. Today, we're bringing us to a country that many of us in the Western world don't know much about: Afghanistan. I was lucky enough to speak to Asadullah Mohammadi, who is the co-founder of Scholarship for Afghanistan. An education consultancy to help young people in Afghanistan to find the best tertiary education opportunities as well as professional opportunities. I won't say too much yet, so let's dive in. Hello, Asadullah. Thank you so much for joining us at Voices Unheard today. So, first of all, can you tell us what is Scholarship for Afghanistan? Hello, thank you for having me on this program. Scholarship for Afghanistan is a platform and also an organization, a youth-led organization. If I want to explain the story of the Scholarship for Afghanistan, let me tell my story, then come to Scholarship for Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. I am coming from a rural a rural area that is located in Ghazni province of Afghanistan. Uh, I started the school after uh, the Taliban regime fall in, in Afghanistan in uh, uh, in 2001. In 2001, I started the school. It was just the start of the school year. So the first person from my family who was uh, going to school uh, was me. Mm. So yeah, I started there and. After uh, passing some uh, grade, I learned that uh, it is my responsibility to help others to learn and to get educated. So simultaneously, when I was at school, I was helping others to learn more. And uh, what I, whatever I was able to teach others, I was doing that. Mm-hmm. So when I, I finished school, I selected uh, the university, Kabul Polytechnic University here, and. Uh, because I was the first person who did not know what is going on in higher education, mm-hmm. I just selected the university, which is engineering university. When I came here, the, I was selected at architecture department. I I was wondering what is this. <laughs> uh, during this, I I uh, studied hard. I got the first position in most all semester. But uh, mm-hmm. when I was finishing the uh, university. Uh, I was searching about uh, any other opportunities mm-hmm. that I can continue my education, or if there is not any uh, opportunity to get my master's degree, I should search for job. So searching a lot, I couldn't find any platform that can help students in Afghanistan to access to those kind of opportunities. So mm-hmm. <clears throat> I checked what should we do in this case. Yeah, we uh, we thought and come with the idea of creating a kind of platform like this. So we started a scholarship for Afghanistan in 2014. Mm-hmm. They are that we were uh, graduating from university. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that time we started uh, only by Facebook page, mm. nom- uh, named Scholarship for Afghanistan, that is sharing all uh, opportunities that was available for uh, Afghanistan in Afghanistan could apply to those. It, another reason was that the Ministry of Higher Education here 
was announcing scholarships only two or three days remaining to the daytime, mm -hmm. that no one could uh, access to those opportunities. Or some of the people were living in rural areas or in another provinces, they could, could not come to Kabul mm -hmm. to apply to those opportunities. Mm -hmm. So starting that, uh, we worked voluntarily from 2014 to 2017. Okay. Day and night we were helping and most of the people did not know how to apply. We were assisting them. In 2017, we officially started and we started an office in a couple helping people physically. Most of them came to office and we, we are now consulting them, organizing seminar, mm -hmm. partnering with other social organizations that are organizing capacity building programs and also other programs. And also we have, during our journey, uh, we have partnered uh, about, I can say, about 70 uh, youth organizations mm -hmm. for organizing different programs, mm. such as uh, One Million Smile, which was uh, one of the campaigns that another youth organization was leading that. We helped them. And also the same uh, programs we were uh, doing. Also, we have, uh, uh, we have partnered with some of the educational institutions like educational centers that are providing uh, English training for the students. So with this partnership, we have helped about uh, 750 students that they have got scholarships to study English and to get ready for opportunities uh, like scholarships and these uh, things. Yeah, awesome. I'm just wondering how important is English in um, when you want to pursue higher education in Afghanistan? In Afghanistan, English is not that much important because the official language is Persian in Pashto here. Mm -hmm. But uh, the problem is there that around 200,000 students graduate from high school every year. From these 200,000, only 40 to 50,000 of them can go to higher education in Afghanistan. Wow. So around 160,000 people will remain behind. Mm, okay. Yeah. I see. That is why mm -hmm. we are working on a scholarship for Afghanistan, helping people to, to find an alternative to study their higher education. Okay. Yeah. Whether on a scholarship or on self-finance programs. So, this is uh, what we are doing now. Mm, okay, I see, I see. So you said that 200,000 people graduate high school, but 160,000 don't end up going to university. Yeah. But why is this the case? Is it just because they don't want to? Is it because university is too expensive? Or why is it the case? No, uh, higher education in Afghanistan is for undergraduate studies is free. Mm, okay. These 200,000 people participate in pre-university exam, national university exam. It is called CONCOR here. Okay. So uh, according to the capacity of the universities, only 400,000 people can go to universities. Mm, okay. Yeah, there is no other capacity to do that. Mm, I see. I see. So what is an alternative then? It's, you know simply because there are not enough spaces available. So what is an alternative? Is it just 
that you have to be kind of really, really good and kind of be the top of your class in order to go to university? Or do other people have to just find other ways? How does it work? Yeah, those who go to uh, universities here in Afghanistan, that is based on the pre-university exam. Mm, okay. Yeah. yeah, those who got higher number, they will go. Others will remain. So we are working mm-hmm. to not only help students to get scholarships, mm-hmm. and also we are partnering with some universities that uh, those who can afford Mm. Financially, they can study abroad in other institutions by their self-finance. Mm. And also those who need job, we are helping learn new skills that are important in office, uh, office work and other uh, areas of the work. Mm-hmm. So they can go to work simply yeah. uh, before uh, getting their higher education. Yeah. Yeah, that's very, very cool. Actually, before this um, podcast episode, I had a look at what opportunities were advertised on your website. And I also noticed a lot of international scholarships in places ranging from like Azerbaijan and Switzerland and Japan and things like that. Yeah. Do you guys actively go out and find these programs or do you partner with specific scholarship programs? Uh, no, we we are uh, these scholarships are uh, internationally announced so that everyone can apply. Mm. But seven years ago, there was not such a tradition or such thing that people could go and uh, most of them could not find this kind of scholarship. Mm. So we we these internationally announced scholarship we will place them on our website mm-hmm. so that everyone instead of wasting their time searching all the websites and other things, they can find any scholarship that uh, Afghans are eligible for them on our website. Yeah. Mm, yep. Yep. That's very, very cool. So it's kind of, it's a platform that just collates everything and put them into one place. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And then can you walk us through what is your process for helping these young people to win these scholarships then? Yeah. First, we, when the scholarship is announced, we, we are announcing on, uh, them on uh, our website and social media. Mm-hmm. Then in uh, most scholarships that uh, students need, we will have uh, a student who have gone to that scholarship. Mm-hmm. We will find that and uh, he or she will provide enough information for the student that how should they apply, how is the process, how is the benefit of this scholarship, how can they join, mm-hmm. how should they prepare their application. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of them that they cannot do, we will organize um, in-person seminar and help them how to do that. Mm, that's really awesome. That's really awesome. And then do you have professionals coming in and conducting these seminars? If so, who are these people who are conducting the seminars? Yeah, those who have gone to these scholarships, for example, uh, those who have gone to Fulbright, they will come in, uh, advise the student in this program. Those who have gone to Chippenin, the, the, the chiveners will come, those who have, have gone to that, and any scholarship that those who have gone to that, they will give the information for them through the seminar. Yeah, that's really cool. That's really, really cool. Okay, I just, I wanted to come back to your other point. So you were saying how there are about 200,000 people who graduate, but only very spaces available at universities and are there other factors that affect whether one can attend universities or not is it is it more likely if you are 
Um, if you are a man, is it more likely if you are um, living in big cities? Can you tell us who are the kind of people who usually end up going to universities? Yeah, there can be some limit. For example, uh, in most uh, families, uh, the girls uh, cannot go to school or they are not allowed to school. But uh, at first, most of them are not allowed. Uh, mm. But nowadays, since Taliban regime uh, failed, uh, now uh, the percentage of the female participation at school is increased. Mm. But still, there are some some limitation for them to go to universities and also to go to work. And also, uh, it, it is obvious that opportunities are uh, more in uh, cities, but not in remote areas. Mm. Yeah. Okay. I see. So then. Can you give us, I guess, like a case study of, okay, what would it look like if um, a girl from a rural area wanted to go to university then? How likely is it? And what would they have to do to make sure that happens? Yeah. So at first, uh, uh, most of the girls that who are not allowed to go to uh, school, mm. Uh, because in some families they are uh, very traditional, mm. they uh, count it as a, a kind of uh, uncredibility to their family that their girls go to school, mm. so they do not let. Uh, so it is the first responsibility of that girl that uh, she should convince mm -hmm. her parents yep. to let her go to uh, school. Mm. I see. Yeah. When uh, when he went when she went to school, uh, she will study hard, mm -hmm. and she will prove that she can go to higher education. Mm. Yeah, that nowadays uh, you know in uh, this year uh, we had a female student who got the first position at pre-university exam national exam uh, in Afghanistan. Wow! So it is showing that the girls who uh, who study hard, she will get the result. She can go to higher education. Now that uh, girl, her name is Shamsia. Mm -hmm. Now she is studying in Turkey by a scholarship. Wow, that's amazing. That's really, really good. That's honestly something to celebrate for everybody involved as well. Yeah. That's really awesome. So would you say like the traditional conservative attitudes are kind of slowly changing and we should kind of, I guess, celebrate these changes then? Yeah. Yeah, very, very cool. I'm, yeah, very glad. <laughs> That's really awesome. Okay, and then I guess ideally, what do you, what do you envision uh, like a fairer education system would look like? First, I think that fair education uh, system should be a kind of system that would enable everyone uh, to reveal the, their talent. Mm. Yeah, uh, because uh, nowadays the universities and most of the system that we are uh, going through are a kind of pre-designed uh, path that everyone should go through that and most of them are just following that uh, not revealing their talent okay i see yeah yeah so in a good education system i think uh, those who teach they should be professional in that area i mean uh, they should have done. For example, if a person is teaching business, he should have a business experience to teach that, not just those who have studied the books, mm. not having any experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
So by this thing, the teachers also at at school mm-hmm. should also be the same. Those who have the same thing, the same experience, they should teach the related uh, subject. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I was uh, teaching in a rural area that I was coming from during my university. At winter here, universities are closed mm-hmm. at winter. So during winter, I went there and was teaching the student. Mm-hmm. One of the student was saying that my uh, teacher says that you should not smoke cigarette like me. <laughs> but he was <laughs> smoking and saying the student you should not do that. So it shows this that uh, the student, mm. uh, the teacher should be the one who is doing what he is teaching, mm. not just saying. Yeah. Okay, interesting. So I'm just, I'm kind of, because I mean, I think a lot of our listeners out there, we don't really know very much about how the university system works. So I just, I guess, want to clarify a little bit. I'm just wondering, so is it the case that you study something and then you go straight into teaching it, even though you might not have any experience working in that field? Yeah, mostly. For example, uh, here, uh, I don't know uh, other places how it is going to be done, but in Afghanistan, for example, when I finish the university and I have a good grade, mm-hmm. when the university announces an opportunity for the teacher, mm-hmm. I apply to that, whether I don't have any experience, oh. that as I have good numbers, good grade, yes. I will get there and I will teach. Wow. That's very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Very different. <laughs> very, very different. So it kind of sounds like if you do this continuously, then you will just, you will have all these teachers who are really good at studying the books, but they don't know how to work with people. They don't know how to communicate. They don't know how to, well, teach. Is that the case then? Yeah. So mostly the teachers should be like a mentor mm. who have gone through the path that they are guiding the students. Mm. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And also, I guess university is not supposed to prepare you to teach, right? I think most universities are supposed to prepare you um, to go out and work yeah. as well as to teach other people and guide other people as well. Yeah. So, yeah, okay, that's something that, that I guess can be improved. But do you see this kind of, do you see this problem improving currently? Uh I hope so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hope so too. <laughs> we will see what the future is like. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, I just I wanted to get back to a point you were making. So you were saying how you work with a lot of um, social organizations as partners. Can you tell us a little bit about them? Yeah, today uh, most of the youth organization they they are working on youth on women empowerment. Mm-hmm. and uh, uh, organizing uh, kind of similar to build the capacity of the youth and uh, also the women. Yeah. So since we are a large network of youth in Afghanistan, Scholarship for Afghanistan, yeah. uh, we, uh, we have a good resource that can help the, the youth mm. and also those organizations to connect together, to reach to that opportunity that they are providing. They are providing the capacity building program for the student and for youth. That's really awesome. So you're kind of connecting these um, young women with, I guess, scholarships and university opportunities and things like that. Is that correct? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's cool. And I'm just wondering, what would 2021 look like? What are you planning to do this year? Yeah, we are continuing what we are doing now. Mm -hmm. We believe that for anyone, if we can work and provide one opportunity for one person, that is all we have done. That one opportunity can change one life dramatically. Mm. So if uh, one life is changed, I think a family is changed and uh, consequently uh, a society will be changed. Yeah. So we are working through connecting the youth with the opportunity. Yeah, that's really awesome. And I, I couldn't agree more, actually. You know, it's kind of, they talk about things being a cycle. So if one person can kind of break the cycle and go to university and go on to achieve things, then it breaks the whole cycle. And, it, yes. you know, it makes, it changes generations and they also inspire other people to go on to that as well. I couldn't agree more. That's really exciting. I actually, I can't wait to see what Scholarship for Afghanistan does in 2021. <laughs> um, so we're just about to get to the end of our interview now. But before we go, can you tell us how our listeners who are from kind of all over the world, so how can they uh, support and help Scholarship for Afghanistan? We might not be politicians or we don't work at universities or we're not academics, but how can we support the organisation? Yeah, everyone can work. Those who work, and uh, you know, those who want to work mm-hmm. for uh, and want to support us, if they can help a young person, that he can get connected to an opportunity mm-hmm. that is a kind of supporting us. Mm. When he, uh, we are ever he or she lives, for example, if you are living in an Australia in Australia, mm-hmm. and you are helping one person. Uh, that he reached uh, to his or her goal. Mm-hmm. That is a kind of supporting us because we we have more empowered youth in the world. Mm. Yes, that's really true. Yeah. It's such an important um, age group to work with as well because the youth they are they are the future as well. So yeah. to change one person, you're you're changing the future. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Thank you so much again. Um, do you have any final comments for our listeners out there? Uh, thank you for uh, your time in your interview. That is all. No problem. I am the one who should be saying thank you. Honestly, from the bottom of my heart, thank you. <laughs> If you enjoyed today's episode, you can let Asadullah and I know by sending in a voice message on Voices Unheard's anchor website. Alternatively, you can let us know your thoughts by submitting a podcast review. As always, make sure you check out all the links and resources in this episode's description, as well as a transcript of the episode there. The next episode will be taking us to a photojournalism project in Bulgaria, so until then, See you in two weeks.